Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Church, let's thank God for a great Resurrection Sunday last week. We believe, we don't believe, we know today is another great Sunday, and if uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, was your very first time ever with us, welcome back. We're thankful that you came back for a second round. It's good to see you. Uh, I want to share with you that my wife, Jennifer, is out of town this weekend, so if you see my children around and you're wondering, what are they wearing, it's all on dad this week, okay? This morning, we want to welcome a new member of our team, Kira Whitmire. Would you stand up and show the church your friendly face? So Kira comes to us from Hope Church in Albany, where she was an outstanding member of their team. And we are thankful for the steps that God has directed you and leading you here to us. She is a graduate of Northwest University And now she is studying for her master's degree, so she's highly educated and trained. And more importantly, Kira has a huge heart for the next generation, for kids, girls especially. So Kira's gonna be working with our middle school students and with our girls in middle school and high school. And we are thrilled, Kira, that you're here and excited for what God is gonna do through you. Thank you, Kira. So when you see Kira in the lobby, please greet her and make her feel welcome, as I know you already have been doing. Also today, we want to pray for a member of our church family who is running for the United States Congress. Angela Plowhead, would you please come down here? And we want you to pray for you. So... Angela, if you'd be willing to take just a couple of giant steps toward the congregation, could we get a few friends to come and lay hands on Angela? Your ballots will be coming in the mail this week for the primary. And as we get ready to pray for Angela, God's word tells us that we need to pray for those who are in authority. And we also want to pray for those who are seeking authority. And so consider this an open invitation. We will pray for anyone who is running for office, that God would speak to them and that God would lead them as we're doing today for Angela. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you for men and women of the word who are willing to step out into very public, uh, a very public spotlight and to say, I would run on the word of God as my guide. One of the many things I appreciate about Angela is that as she was getting her candidacy off the ground, one of the very first things that she did was establish a prayer team. Father, we need those who serve in elected office to hear from you, Lord, and not just to hear from you, but to be bold enough to act upon your word and your ways, even when it goes against popular opinion. Father, we're thankful that you are seated on the throne today and that no authority is above you. Father, thank you for Angela and for her family. 
Father, provide for them and bless them as they continue in this journey. And Father, we do trust you that you are going to guide and direct us as we fill out our ballots this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Angela. Church, we're not telling you who to vote for, but I am telling you to vote. You said it, not me. There are many countries in the world where the people are praying for the right to vote. And we cannot take it for granted. It is a privilege. And so we need to uh, get out there and and vote. And we need to pray. And we need to lift up men and women who are standing on biblical principles. And we believe that God is going to direct their steps. So uh, your ballots for the primary are coming in the mail this week. As uh, Shauna shared this morning, as we get into the content of the message today, a few of the uh, uh, points of the message are going to be not great for kids, so just be aware of that. It's kind of a PG-13 message today, and I want you to be aware. All right, this part is not PG-13. I grew up in Michigan. I live in Oregon now, and there is something that Michigan and Oregon have in common that no other two states have in common. Michigan and Oregon, I believe, are the only two states in the entire country that would have this in common. Uh, Does anyone know what it is or want to guess? And please, if you've heard the first two services, don't shout it out. But what do Michigan and Oregon have in common that no other two states would have in common? Do you know? Your best guess. Wow. So, I believe that Michigan and Oregon are the only two states in the entire country where you can return your bottles and cans for 10 cents. Right? See, some of you, that, that's like you got your day's worth there. The whole message has been worth it. Or you see on the bottle, O-R-M-I. M-I stands for Michigan, 10 cents. So, I grew up knowing that you get 10 cents when you bring the bottles back. You know that you actually paid that in the beginning. They're just returning the 10 cents to you. So I grew up just knowing you don't throw away your cans and bottles. That's a dime. So, and it works. People don't throw away their cans and their bottles. As uh, kids, we would do fundraisers for school where we would go and we would ask people if they would give us their cans and we would turn them in as a fundraiser. Then I went away to school in Arizona and I see my friends just throwing away their cans and bottles. And it's like, you're throwing away money. What are you doing? But they don't have the 10 cent deposit. So we have this 10 cent deposit and what it is called is bottle and can redemption. We redeem our cans and our bottles. The, to, to redeem, the definition is to buy back or to win back. And bottle drop, it just keeps our state cleaner and litter-free because we get our 10 cents back for our bottles and cans. So we understand the concept of redemption because we do bottle drop. What we're going to see today is that redemption is at the heart of why Jesus Christ came to this earth. Redemption through Christ brings freedom from the captivity of sin. As part of this conversation, I want to tell you about a place where an entire culture is held captive by sin and is in desperate need 
of God's redemption. After the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the early church is launched, and we are introduced to Paul, who at the time was known as Saul. And Paul was a religious elite who had the authority to terrorize Christians, and it was his mission, it was his purpose to bring an end by whatever means necessary to this movement that we now call Christianity. And Paul is on uh, his work, and he has a miraculous encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Paul goes from hating Christians to being a Christian. And Paul is now the most well-known missionary, evangelist, and church planter of all time. And Paul, that Paul, wrote to his disciple Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here's what I want to highlight. Paul writes, and I am the worst of them all. I am the worst. You see, no sin, no sinner is beyond Christ's redemption power. As we talk about the concept of redemption, you know, if you take your cans and your bottles to the bottle drop and you tear the label off and you rip them back and you tear, they won't take it anymore. But when it comes to Jesus Christ and our soul, there is no sin that moves us beyond the redemption power of Jesus Christ. No one is too far gone. There may be people in our life who we think that they're beyond redemption or we conclude that a person is so wicked or so wrapped up in sin that they would never become a follower of Christ. Maybe you think of a person whose politics or the organization that they represent is fundamentally opposed to God. And so we conclude because of what they stand for, there's no way that they would ever be open to the message of Jesus Christ. Yet woven through the pages of the New Testament is the story of Paul, very intentionally placed by God. If God can turn Paul's life around, he can turn anyone's life around. And there are people in our church family who you would say, at some point in your past, if, if someone looked at you, they may have said, you are, you wouldn't, God would never be able to get a hold of your life. Yet miraculously, he did. You heard the message of Jesus Christ, and he transformed you, and you're nothing like what you once were. So as we think about people and cultures that are living against God, maybe our natural inclination is to hate on those people but maybe we should do less hating on those people and more praying for those people that we would see turnaround like what happened in the life of Paul. <laughs> Father, if you can redeem Paul's life, you can redeem whatever it is that may be on your mind today. Then there's Titus, a companion of Paul, who became an early church leader. In a letter to Titus and now to us, Paul gives us this understanding of redemption. And what I'm going to read to you is one sentence, but it's a run-on sentence. It actually spans four verses. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 is one long sentence. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's how the sentence begins. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace is undeserved mercy. We do not deserve God's forgiveness, but God appeared. He came to this earth, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. 
And why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. As it's put in the letter to Titus, to bring salvation to some people, to bring salvation to all people. It is our heavenly Father's desire that no one should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. To seek and to save the lost, Jesus is our Redeemer. He gave his life as a payment, as a ransom. Ransom and redemption are closely connected concepts. As a result of that, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, we are training, God is training us to renounce godliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So as a follower of Christ, we turn away from what is against God and turn toward what is for God. We renounce, we reject ungodliness. And there it says that we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now we see the word passion and we might say it's good to be passionate. Yes, it's good to be passionate about what God is passionate about. It's detrimental when we are passionate about what, is God, what God is against. And some of us would say we spent way too much of our life wasting being passionate about what God is against. Those are worldly passions. And as followers of Christ, we are challenged, we are called to turn away from worldly passions. What we're talking about are passions that may be sweet for a moment, but ultimately are destructive to us and to those who are around us. So what are we doing? Verse 13, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What this means is that Jesus is coming back. We look forward, anticipating the return of Christ. We look at what's happening in the world around us, and some of us are so discouraged. Maybe sometimes it even feels like the enemy is gaining the upper hand. It's not true. The victory has already been won. Sin, the sin of this world, does not have the final say. Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us, here's the word, to redeem us. Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from what? From all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. As a result of being redeemed by Jesus Christ, we become zealous, we become passionate for the good works of God as we align our purposes with his purposes. For many of us in this room, it's past tense. We were held captive by lawlessness. We were a slave to what is against God. We were held captive. Then Jesus redeemed. Look at all these definitions for the word redeem and think about how it, all, each one of these definitions describes the work of Jesus Christ. To buy back, to get back, to win back, to free from what distresses or harms, to free from captivity by payment of ransom, to extricate from or to help to overcome something detrimental, to release from blame or debt, to free from the consequences of sin. Well, church, Jesus bought us back from the enemy with his own blood. Jesus wins back the spiritually lost. Jesus sets free those who are held captive by the destructiveness of sin. We are released from the captivity of sin by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his empty tomb and his victory over the grave. Followers of Christ, 
are extricated. They're extricated from the kingdom of darkness and assured a permanent home in the kingdom of heaven. The debt of sin is canceled and we are free from the consequence of sin. Christ redeems broken people from ungodliness, from destructive desires, and from living opposed to God. Well, many of us in this room would say that those things are past tense for our, in our lives. What we know is that there is still spiritual brokenness in Salem. There is still spiritual brokenness in Oregon and in our country, and there is still spiritual brokenness in this world. There is still ungodliness. There is still destructive desires. There are still people living opposed to God. And what we're about to see is that there are even entire cultures trapped in spiritual brokenness, trapped in ungodliness, and held captive by destructive desires. So let me ask you this question. What happens when you remove God entirely from a society? What happens when Christ has never been made real to an entire culture? What happens when there have been hundreds of years with little or no influence of Christ? I want to introduce you to a people group in Southern Asia. And to protect the work of our partners in that area of the world, that's about as geographically specific as I'm going to get today. So there in Southern Asia, there are in this community, there are about 60,000 people living across 76 villages. I want to thank Pastor Rod Loy from our partner church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Project Rescue for sharing the content that I want to tell you about today. The people group that we're talking about belongs to the lowest caste in their society. Caste, C-A-S-T-E. Now, American culture, we don't really have anything that's comparable to the caste system. In fact, the American dream, we would say, runs uh, contradictory to the caste system. What a caste system means is that when a child is born, they are born into a caste or they're born into a social group. It is like a hierarchy, a pyramid with elites at the top and what culture would describe as untouchables at the bottom of the hierarchy. With few exceptions, you are locked. You are locked into your place in the caste system. And this group of people that we're talking about today is extremely poor, and they have a very low literacy rate. And here's where it gets heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. For over 500 years, these people have sold their daughters into sexual slavery. It is a 500-year-old tradition. And this 500-year-old tradition has little impact on the boys and men because in this society where God has never been made real to so many, the men and the boys feel like it is their divine calling, their divine sanction, it's their role in life to initiate their girls, their daughters, their women into the sex trade. It begins by dedicating newborn girls to a goddess of prostitution. What would happen if you had a daughter in this caste system in this region of the world? Your neighbors and your friends would come to your house to congratulate you for the future profit that you are guaranteed as a result of having a daughter. From the first day of life, little girls are seen as a commodity. When God is removed from a culture, people are dehumanized and moved 
to being objectified. Between the ages of 10, 10, and 12, girls are sold to older men to become wives. A beautiful girl can be sold for as much as $15,000. That there is the equivalent of three years income. Those who are not sold as wives are prostituted by their own families. Families expect girls to be their main source of income. People who want to have sex with children are the target customer base. Men from all over the country drive to this area to have sex with children. In these communities, prostitution is not presented as a choice, but as a mandate. It is their prison. It is their way of life. Parents see no value for education since girls will become prostitutes and boys will become pimps. Even though children are enrolled in school at a young age, most drop out after either fifth or eighth grade, and the dropout rate for girls is close to 100%. Every girl is moved in the direction of trafficking. Little boys are trained to become managers in the sex trade. Their fate, if nothing is done, their fate has been and will continue to be determined from the day that they're born. There is hardly anyone there to encourage these boys and girls to follow their God-given dreams. More than 50% of the population is infected with HIV AIDS, and with almost no medical care or prevention, there are many newborns who are born with the disease. Church, there is still spiritual brokenness in this world. There is ungodliness. There are destructive desires. There are people who are living opposed to God. And there are entire cultures entrenched in sin that what is good in God's eyes is entirely foreign and unknown. How will they ever know unless someone is sent? This is a culture trapped in spiritual brokenness, ungodliness, and destructive desires. And it may be easiest just to look away. But when I read my Bible, what I see is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who saw broken people. And he saw people who were pushed to the sidelines of society and culture. And when everyone else walked away, when everyone else said, don't pay attention, when everyone else said, they're not worth it, those are the people whose stories are highlighted in the Bible. It's the stories of the most broken people whose lives are the feature of the Bible. Because Jesus Christ moved in the direction of the broken people. And so when we move in the direction of broken people, we are the hands and feet of, of Christ. We are reflecting the love of Christ into the world. It may be easiest to look away However, we are challenged by Proverbs 31, which says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. This is where we introduce you to Project Rescue. Project Rescue started 25 years ago by missionaries David and Beth Grant who were working in missionaries, working as missionaries in India. And this was not the initial work that led them to India, but they became aware of girls 
who were held as sexual slaves in the red light district of Calcutta, India. And when the Grants saw what was happening, they couldn't look away. And this became their life's work. Project Rescue is now in Central and Southern Asia, Europe, and Africa. David and Beth Grant's daughter, Jennifer, along with her husband, Jonathan, are transitioning into leadership of this ministry. And Jonathan and Jennifer are going to be here with us next Sunday. It is my heart, why would we give two Sundays to this? It is my heart that you know this work before they come. Because when Jennifer, my wife and I, when we heard about this work, like many of you, we just said we cannot look away. In this region we've been talking about today, Project Rescue's goal is to have a presence in every one of the 76 villages and desire to bring transformation in all 76 villages. And I want you to know, church, we have already been engaged. Project Rescue is one of our primary missions partners. If you invest in, pro if you invest in people's church missions, you are already invested in the work of Project Rescue. Project Rescue is reaching out to introduce families to a way of life so that children do not have to continue a cycle of prostitution and disease. Change the culture. Break the cycle in medical care, education, housing for the rescued and the abandoned. I was told about Project Rescue's most recent trip to the region where they met parents of two daughters and the parents' plan for their two daughters was to sell the oldest one as a wife and to uh, put the youngest daughter into prostitution. Project Rescue's team connected with the parents and as a result of those conversations, the parents changed their decision and they placed the girls in the care of Project Rescue. And the parents, they wept as Project Rescue shared the story of discovering the love of Jesus Christ and his plan for their daughters, something that they had never heard before. This is not easy work. You can't just parachute in and change it, try, think that you're going to change it and move back out. This takes workers who live in these places. It's emotionally draining and it is exhausting and there is deep spiritual opposition. Even at preparing for this conversation this week, I felt the weight of this, and I felt like almost a spiritual force against coming against this as I walked into the church, knowing that we would be preaching against a stronghold of the enemy. But it's worth it. Every girl, every time, every soul, every life. There's Raja. Her mother ran away when she was a baby. Her father took his own life. Raja's grandmother, some of you are grandparents or great-grandparents here. Raja has a grandmother. Her grandmother did not want to care for her and could not afford to care for her, so the grandmother believed that the only option or the best option was to traffic this child. But before Raja was sold, a project rescue leader met this little girl and the little girl was drawn to a safety that she has never heard about. Remember, Jesus hanging on the cross said, forgive them for they know not what they do. She was immediately drawn to a safety and a love that she had never heard about. And this grandmother decided that instead of selling Raja, 
she would be given to the care of Project Rescue. Here's one where God's perfect timing rescued a girl. There is an immediate need to build a third home in this region. There are already two rescue shelter homes. And this home is the new one that they're envisioning. Uh, the focus is for what they would consider older girls, ages 10 to 12. The goal is to rescue girls before they get sold provide vocational and medical school training and to break the generational curse by giving girls an alternative future. The goal is to empower the entire community and bring radical change and to break the 500 years stronghold of the enemy. There's one more reason that this work is so important. You see, many of the girls are forced to work out of the very home where they grew up. The parents negotiate a price for their daughter's innocence as they stand outside the door of their home. When an agreement is reached, the parents allow the customer into the girl's own room. The place where she grew up, where she played as a child, the room where she slept and had dreams becomes her prison. These girls need a safe place. They need to know a love and a value and, a, and that they are treasured. They need a place where they can sleep without fear. So here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, as I said, Jonathan and Jennifer Barrett will be here. It's an amazing young couple. And it's important to me that you knew part of their story before they arrived so that God would begin to cultivate our heart for this ministry. And as they go into these places where there is strong spiritual opposition, I want them to remember people's church, that we are a church that is with them and for them. And as, when you do missionary work, there are times when you feel very alone. And I want them to remember the faces that they will see here as a church that is standing with them in this critical work. Invite someone you know who may be compelled to respond to the mission of Project Rescue. And yes, this is a social need. But responding to something like this as a social need comes up short because this ultimately is a spiritual need. In the view of Project Rescue and in the view of People's Church, a rescue without sharing and receiving the message of Christ is incomplete. A rescue without redemption comes up short. This year, Project Rescue is also a special focus of Speed the Light, which is our ministry that our high school and middle school students get behind. It's our desire that we cultivate a heart for missions, beginning with our kids even with BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. And thank God you don't have to wait to be 18 years old to make a difference for God. We have an incredible group of middle school and high school students in this church. And a few weeks ago, Jennifer, my wife Jennifer and I were with John and Jennifer Barrett 
we began to hear the story that I just shared with you today. And I knew that our church had to hear this story. And I called Pastor Spencer and I said, Spencer, would you and Corey begin to pray about what God would lay on your heart for our students to make a difference through Speed the Light and Project Rescue? And I, Spencer and Corey, I love you guys. They set the bar high and they are believing that we can do more through Speed the Light and Project Rescue with our teenagers this year than ever before. And we said, this doesn't mean like more to the teenagers by asking them to ask their parents more, but God has given our young people amazing abilities to be difference makers. And I'm excited to see how God is gonna operate through our middle school and high school students to make a difference for Project Rescue. So next Sunday evening, Everyone is invited back, but next Sunday evening is gonna be especially for our teenagers, for our high school and middle school students. And I've never asked this of you before, but this time I'm asking for every high school and middle, middle school student who calls People's Church their church home to be here next Sunday evening at six. The Barretts will be here all day, but I'm asking for every high school and middle school student to be here next Sunday evening at six o'clock. And students, if you know somebody in your life, a friend who may be impacted by this work and you want to invite them, it's going to be a great Sunday to invite them next Sunday evening. We also know as we have this conversation that human trafficking is not just a problem on the other side of the world. It's a problem here in Oregon. In January 2020, Oregon State Police reported that they encountered three to five victims of human trafficking every week. 80% of the victims are girls and women. 50%, 50% are children. And these are just the reported cases in Oregon. And we know that so much of human trafficking goes underreported. Our conversation today started around the concept of redemption to buy back, to win back, to take back. Someone might say what we have heard about today in this culture around the, on the other side of the world, what we hear about happening in our own state, we might say that's a problem and it's too great to ever be resolved. But we believe in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and a heavenly father who has no limit to the resources and that no individual and no culture is too far gone. How thankful we are as we think of our own life stories before we became a follower of Christ, that Jesus did not see us as who we were in that broken state, but Jesus Christ saw us as who we could be, redeemed, set free, released from the captivity of sin. So church, let's begin to pray for this region in Southeast Asia. And when you pray, God will know where you're talking about. Say, Father, redeem that region of the world. Set those girls free. Set those boys free from the cycle of human trafficking slavery. And let's believe, let's believe that a turnaround is going to happen. Yes, we're thankful for those who have already been rescued. But let's believe for a transformation of a region that God would get a hold of that entire area. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. 
Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.